Welcome to the podcast of Hemisphere, the official journal of the European Hematology Association. Hemisphere's podcast presents insightful, expert discussions about recent hematology publications. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to this episode of the Hemisphere podcast. My name is Stephen Hibbs, and I'm a hematologist and clinical research fellow based at Queen Mary University of London, and I'm one of the scientific editors for Hemisphere. Now, it's almost too obvious to say, but COVID has changed and often dominated the research landscape over the last three years, including in hematology. Researchers have made progress in understanding how blood changes its behaviour as a result of COVID, how patients with hematological conditions are best treated for COVID, and how our services should change as a result of the pandemic. So COVID has changed the academic focus of many researchers, but it's also changed their jobs and lived experiences of what it's like to do research. Today, I'm joined by two researchers who have worked on this question by surveying the pandemic experience of laboratory and clinical scientists across the Young EHAR network. They published their findings in Hemisphere last year in the aptly named Long COVID of Researchers, What to Do Next. So welcome, Eleni and Alba. Can I ask you to introduce yourselves and to describe how your own researcher journeys led to your involvement in this work? Hi, thank you for this well, uh, welcome. I'm Eleni Gavrilaki uh, from Aristotle University of Thessaloniki, Greece. Uh, I'm uh, uh, part of the Young HA Committee. Um, I'm very proud to to be part of this uh, young committee and to have created this work uh, through this committee. And um, we can discuss further on this work uh, in a little bit. Hi, yes, very nice. And thanks a lot for the invitation to discuss this, this work. Um, so my name is, is Alba Maikes Diaz. I'm based in Barcelona in Spain. I'm a postdoctoral scientist uh, working in, in chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And yeah, as, as Eleni said, so this all started from the Young EHA committee. Um, and that's how we end up publishing this. And actually, there was that previous publication we, we already did because we did two surveys, actually three surveys to, to kind of understand the impact the pandemic was having and is currently still having on on the young uh, generation of, of researchers and clinicians and I guess we can we can go through this uh through this podcast because I think it is an important topic that we need to to rise and discuss and to think what's what to do with thank you both so can I ask you a bit about how has the covid pandemic affected your life as researchers both kind of at the time of the peak pandemic and ever since so for me, it was it was important. It was an important hit because I just moved from from Manchester a year before the pandemic. So I was doing a postdoc in Manchester, and then I moved. I got another po- position here in Barcelona. So it was by the time uh, the lab running. I mean, everything running in the lab after one year it takes to start things and to and to set up all the experiments in the in the lab and everything. So we were just like, okay, we have things running. We can start, and then we stop, right? And we had to froze down the the cell lines or, or the patient samples and and go back home and in Spain we were I work at a hospital so only only people doing covid related research or uh, could could go to to work so we we kind of stay for about 2 or 3 months and then it was slowly going back to the lab so actually it took me about a year to go fully back uh to to the 
to to what I was doing in in March at that time. Yeah. And when you did return, what what was what was different? So well, it is it it is different that. For instance, my group, many people work from home. There was there's a lot of computational biology going on in the in the department, so there was uh, fewer people uh, there. So it takes us as a group. It has taken us a while to kind of feel again that we were a group and we're getting together now and starting to feel normality now. We didn't have to do shifts because there was not many people working in the lab, but we were few people there, so it felt a little bit lonely still. Um, and then obviously we have grants that are finishing now, three years after uh, they started, and, and there's no publication yet because there's been a, a gap that has been a long time to, to, to recover. And, and even though we got some extension, this is still an impact that, well, I haven't got my publication and I need to go to the next round of, of uh, grant writing. And that's, that's challenging. So just picking up on one of the points there of the sort of, getting back towards normality. I was interested to see in your survey, the table one that kind of summarized a lot of the concerns um, and the, the hoped for support that people reported during the pandemic. And um, I noticed that there was this kind of sense in which people missed what, what you summarized as casual chats with peers. And there was a bit more, I, I guess, suspicion of the idea of these organized support meetings um, and I just wanted to ask you a bit more of your own experience of that of, of, of what, what did these sort of support meetings feel like either for you or for your respondents did, did they feel meaningful or, or did they feel more of a kind of token a token gesture at that time that's a really interesting question actually and uh, we wanted through the survey to uh, give uh, all the scientists and hematologists and researchers uh, the opportunity to express themselves through open uh, open questions and uh, through these questions we had very interesting answers and uh, some things that we would never actually think so um, uh, even if you work, I think, in a, in a smaller or larger institute, these informal question and answers with uh, fellows and uh, other scientists and even esteemed uh, scientists in their field uh, might give you very important hints on your, for your next experiment uh, as, we, as we have all exp experienced or, you know, an idea for another grant or something like that. I think that was what people were trying. We felt lonely in the lab without other people. So even for a very small thing like, you know, uh, what would you suggest to do better in this experiment? You know, that can be an idea from a technician or a very important thing that can buy an idea from an esteemed professor. I think uh, working together with people gives you this unique uh, opportunity. I think the problem is even larger in um, uh, early career researchers and uh, researchers that are from countries that do not have such a network of research of research or scientists or hematologists to uh, work with. And we are trying to represent all these categories and raise their voice and trying to, to be optimistic and find new things that can be done in the future. If I might add uh, on that, over the Lenny, so one of the main things we, we found, and actually I think that's part of the young EHA committee, is that this network you have. So actually this idea of the survey started, we did a call within the committee 
during the pandemic, when some like the Southern Europe countries, we were already locked down and the Northern European countries were not yet. And we were discussing and we were like, oh, what's going to happen? And it was this idea of this um, stress and anxiety we were suffering on how we could add, we could help from the committee, you know, to the to the researchers and clinicians that were feeling the same. And that's where it started to do the survey. Can we assess what's the impact? Can we suggest or or push towards um, changes that needed or supported that was that is needed for for the younger generations? And for me, that represent these informal meetings and this fact that as junior um, members, you don't need to wait to enroll into a mentoring program that is within your institution that is already there. That is great if it's there and, and you should and you will benefit, but you could also do your own network and your own support group. And and for me, this is key. And for me, this is one of the key messages from the from both uh, from the surveys and from the both articles we 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 published. That is just uh, look for what you need and what thing you need in science and COVID has shown us is that if you do network, science go faster and it's, and it's better because you interchange support, uh, as Helena was saying, ideas and research and so on. And to give uh, like a personal example, uh, actually with a group of friends also during COVID and just afterwards, we had a, a chat, a WhatsApp chat with my friends from the PhD from Madrid and and we are all all over the places there's some in the states some in 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 London some in Belgium and we at some point during covid we said why don't we start doing this regularly why don't we meet regularly and do such a support peer group and we started and now it's been a year and we meet every month and we discuss a part of chatting in the whatsapp whatever we want about our lives we we have formal structure meetings to support with peers. There's some that are already group leaders, there's some that we're still senior postdocs. And that's instrumental for all of us to to continue and to to feel supported, to feel what to do next, how to handle difficult situations with or without COVID. But I think that's one of the things that COVID has given us. We can do online peer support meets, meetings with people in in and we can build them easily. You don't need to do something very complicated. And for me, that's one of the main messages from this from this uh, article. Yeah. On that point of the the messages that you want heard from this thing, like what you're talking about there, Albert, some researchers will be able to be in a position where they can sort of put together their own peer group. And I guess I'm aware that other people might be feeling so defeated and so isolated and so lonely that even that kind of feels a bit a, a bit tricky to do. I'm interested to know what you think the message is to institutions and to kind of big organizations like EHA um, about, I guess, particularly those who are who are kind of most vulnerable, most isolated um, in, in, in times like, like during the pandemic. But what what do you think are the messages to them about what really effective and meaningful support can look like? Yes doing things um, like um, Iha did with saying, okay, this is an interesting uh, topic. Let's listen to the young people. They supported us as, as a committee. We did a couple of webinars that they cover. We, I mean, they was like very supportive in saying, let's listen to what the, the younger generations said and need. I think for me that will one and and it is about having more grants. Obviously, there is always there is always a, a, an issue with that, with the money, but it's also with building um, structures that allow younger generation to do network within themselves and within your 
uh, clinician or researchers. Eleni, I don't know if you have other... Yes, and of course, I think another important message that uh, we need to discuss uh, is the 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 action to reduce bureaucracy, and this is referring not only to uh, EHA and other uh, associations, but uh, also you know to government parties and everyone. And I think this this also refers to physicians themselves. Uh, so we need. Uh, to help the organizations and the funding bodies and everyone to reduce bureaucracy. And that was a main message from both uh, surveys. And that is needed in order to not only to increase funding, but also to give better opportunities uh, to early career researchers uh, that do not have this structure to face bureaucracy and I think there are already steps taken by IHA uh, in, in order to reduce bureaucracy and this this was the voice of our of our surveys uh, of our both surveys uh, and this was covered by the majority I think of, of the responders. You've you both thought a lot about this question of what pandemic experience has been like, is like for young haematology researchers across Europe. I'm, I'm interested to know at this point, kind of looking back at the work you've done, what, what's the missing pieces? What's the gaps? What, what do you what do you wish you did know, either that you'd asked in the survey or that you, you'd have to use other methods to find out? What do you feel like, actually, we're not really sure what this part of the experience was like or what, what these people think? Um, yeah, can, 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 you, can you speak to that of anything else that you'd, you'd want to find out? Well, I guess there was many many things because we were kind of naive when we started and we had like never done something like this. So I guess um, one thing first would be to have more answers so we could group better the data no? and say, for instance, we don't have much answers from uh, Eastern Europe countries, which is a completely different story, you know, probably. And, and we couldn't really compare between European countries to see what was the differences on, on that sense. That would be one. The other one would be we, we didn't have enough sample also to compare between genders, which was another another idea, right? Whether it would be more effective in one gender, like female researchers versus male, male res and clinicians and researchers. We, we couldn't do that. And that would have been interesting. And there was other people doing that as well. There was other articles that were covering that. I guess, um, yeah, we, we didn't see any many differences. So we have basically junior uh, or younger early career clinicians and scientists answering. So we couldn't really compare. So we didn't see difference between first and postdoc and young PIs. And probably that's fair because it's not that, I mean, it is highly different, but you're kind of in a phase where you need data, you need to process, right? We see that people that were more established, um, for instance, they you could do computer work, you could write articles you could do things during the pandemic or even afterwards even because you you have already a trajectory for the more younger generation um did, did not right so they were more like I, if i don't do experiments there's nothing i can do and I, they were suffering more of that but we didn't have enough data from more senior uh, people to kind of compare if that was uh, really a significant difference on the impact which you would predict but yeah thank you so Final question. Um, 
let's say, and um, you know, this is a horrible um, thing to think about, but imagine in five or ten years we've got another awful mm-hmm. pandemic um, coming at us down the road. Um, what would be the number one thing, the most important thing you think we could do as a research community now to get ready for supporting our researchers, particularly young researchers, um, through that made up um, coming pandemic? I think that the COVID has given us uh, many tools, you know, to to try to fight another pandemic. Uh, but I think we we will never be prepared for something like that to happen again. Uh, nevertheless, uh, one of the most important things is to 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 have this different uh, sense of immediate action that needs to be taken in all fields. So uh, not only in the medical field, in the research field, you know, in the research bodies, in the funding bodies, and uh, and this supporting mechanisms for all these fields so that uh, we can work together to fight its, uh, its pandemic or, or its threat or... Uh, Everything. So I think the most important lesson from COVID is uh, that we have to work quickly and we have to work together. So that needs to have a trigger uh, so that people, you know, get out of their routine and uh, work in this field. And I, I, in my very personal point of view, I don't think we will ever be prepared, but we will have the feeling and try to look back at the positive things that were done uh, through COVID. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that maintaining the networks to be able, because I think that was the key lesson, one of the key lessons, right, that if we are connected within the world of, of clinicians and scientists and we share information, data quickly, then we, we can cope with this critical situations if we are isolated not even within within groups but even within countries then and that was something we, we didn't do right at the beginning of the COVID it was more like oh it's something is not going to happen to us so who cares now probably we're more smart in that sense and say like oh, it might happen so let's let's exchange information and, and that was actually one of the things that came up we did we did a, a seminar in, in the annual conference of EHA last year uh, discussing this actually and we invited a, a couple of of more senior and more early career clinicians and scientists to discuss what was the post kind of positive. Now, if there's going to be some positive take home message from these um, last years. And that was one of the things like the research and clinical networks that have been built that are new and are allowing to speed up research in many, in many other diseases, not only COVID. And, and you can see that you can see how these structures are being now and you can see them in grants now that people ask for grants that are from teams that were built through COVID and they want to maintain up and use it for a different disease, which is very interesting across disciplines, right? That we were not maybe con- connecting different medical disciplines that now are interconnected and they've worked together. So I think we need to maintain that for any reason, but especially if there will be the hopefully not situation that we have another pandemic that would speed up the response. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Eleni. Thank you so much, Alba, both for the work you've done and for sharing with us today on the Hemisphere podcast. And thank you to all of our listeners for listening in today. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hemisphere podcast. All of Hemisphere's content is open access and can be found at www.hemispherejournal.com. We hope you will join us for future podcast episodes.